Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priests of the God Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, Though, through the, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the opportunity to dive into it, uh, to examine what seems to be a little confusing at first. We pray that you would give us clarity. Help us to understand what it is that you are telling uh, the Hebrews that this was originally written to and to us as well about who Melchizedek is and how that applies to us and to Jesus. Most of all, Father, we pray that we would walk away from here knowing that Jesus is better. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. Happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance. Well, I was going to ask if you agree with that statement, but I think we know now what the answer to that is. I think most people would say, no, we don't agree with that statement because many of us have the idea or the concept or our culture tells us that we marry for happiness. Now, that original uh, line was a quote from Pride and Prejudice. And from that time, Charlotte's quote would have been very well true, that that was the case, that it was just a matter of chance that marriage might end up as happiness. And the same could be said in that book about Mr. Darcy's actions and assumptions early on, which were the accepted and expected wisdom of the day. But as that book goes on, we see that the norm of the day is not necessarily the norm that people want to stick to. And that wisdom, the wisdom of Charlotte, that happiness is a matter of chance, is not the wisdom of today. 
And in a similar way, the author of Hebrews is trying to change his audience's perspective, trying to help them understand what the wisdom of the Lord is as opposed to the wisdom that they grew up in. For the original audience of Hebrews, the Levitical priests, the the ones who are descendants of Aaron, the first high priest, were the ones who dealt with their sin. They had this high, honored position. And if you remember in our context, the uh, temptation of the audience that uh, the author is writing to is to run back to Judaism, to run away from Jesus. And our author is over and over again saying, Jesus is better. And as these Jews were tempted to go back, they would be going back to the sacrificial system, back to the Levitical priests being the ones who would have control of their sin. And again, the author is trying to show them that Jesus is better. And so as we already introduced, Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and we said we're going to dive into that deeper. Well, today is that day. Today is the day when we dive into Melchizedek and who he is and what he has to do and how he shows us that Jesus is better. And since Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, chapter 5, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 20, the author needs to show and is trying to show his readers how Melchizedek is better than what they would go back to. Melchizedek is better than Abraham and the Levites and the Judy, Jew, Jewish faith. So in these 10 verses, uh, the author is going to begin to talk about the priestly order of Melchizedek and how that builds on Jesus. And he's going to use, to begin with, Genesis 14. And he's going to show us two things in these 10 verses by using Genesis 14. First, he's going to show us that God's word makes Melchizedek like God's son. Verses 1 through 3 are going to show us that God's word makes Melchizedek like God's son. And second, he's going to show us that Melchizedek was the priest for both Abram, verses 4 through 7, and Levi, verses 8 through 10. By the way, we're going to be using Abram and Abraham interchangeably because the text does that in Genesis 14. The reference, he's still Abram. His name has not yet been changed to Abraham, but it's the same person. So you're going to hear both those throughout. So let's dive in first and look at how in verses 1 through 3, God's word makes Melchizedek like God's son. But before we do that, I want us to all turn back to Genesis chapter 14. We're looking all the way back at the beginning of the book. And I'm going to read for us Genesis 14, verses 17 through 24, because this is the text that the author of Hebrews is referencing. In this text, we see that Abram, as he has traveled out of his land and brought his relatives with him, got to this place where he said, Lot, there's too much with between the two of us, so why don't you choose? You go that way or that way, and whichever way you don't choose, I'll go. So Lot chooses to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and after Lot has settled there, some of the kings of the region come, and the enemies of Sodom and Gomorrah plunder all of Sodom and Gomorrah, including Lot and all of Lot's possessions. Now, we're going to hear more about Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19. That's where all the stuff that you're used to hearing about them comes 
comes to play. But here in chapter 14, the enemies of Sodom and Gomorrah have plundered that land as well as Lot. And so Abram comes with mighty men from his his retinue to save Lot and to get that plunder back. So this is what we read. After his return from the defeat of Shadalomar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went over, went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. So verse 17 says, the king of Sodom goes out to meet Abram. And then we transition, we have this sandwich section with a different king interacting with Abram. Verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So then we see in 17, 18, uh, 19, or 16, 18, 19, and 20, that Abram has this interaction with Melchizedek. And when he interacts with Melchizedek, there's a positive interaction that goes on there. And then immediately after that, we, we pick back up with the king of Sodom, who was also there. Verse 21, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anar, Eshal, and Mamre take their share. So in verse 17, the king of Sodom wants to reward Abram, but in verses 21 through 24, Abram refuses. He says, no, I'm not going to take anything. Uh, And instead, we do see that he takes from Melchizedek a blessing in verses 18 through 20. Melchizedek, a different king, the king of Salem, a priest of God most high, brings bread and wine. Just as a Small side note, I find that very interesting since we remember who Jesus is through bread and wine. Here, Melchizedek, the priest of the God Most High, the one who is the forerunner to Jesus, brings bread and wine and he blesses Abram, attributing the victory to God. Not to Abram, not to the mighty arms that Abram brought, but he gives the victory glory to God. And then Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth or a tithe of all that he has. So it's important for us to understand what's going on here in chapter 14 of Genesis so that as we examine deeper in Hebrews, we can understand exactly what references are being made. So how is it that God's work, word makes Melchizedek like God's son in verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews chapter 7? Now did you notice the difference in how Abram approached those two kings. I hope so, because it was meant to be very, very separated in the text. From the king of Sodom, he took nothing. He took nothing. And he did this on purpose. He did it so that the king would have nothing over him, so that he wouldn't be connected at all to the king. In fact, one commentator pointed out that had he taken anything from the king, that would have been like entering into a covenant with the king, so he would have been connected with the king of Sodom, who, by the way, even at that time, even before we get to Genesis 19, that area is known as a place of evil. 
And so Abram doesn't want anything from the king of Sodom. He separates himself from the king of Sodom. He really says, basically, I only, get, I only went to get Lot, the fact, that, the fact that you got everything back, that's a bonus for you, but I don't want it, everything. And then in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 7, we see how different it was when Abraham interacted with Melchizedek. Look with me at Hebrews 7, verses 1 and 2. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the God Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So in direct contrast to the king of Sodom, who Abram said, take your stuff, I don't want any of it, I don't want to be tied to you in any way, shape, or form, when he addresses Melchizedek, he does a very different thing. Abram doesn't accept a tithe from Melchizedek, he gives a tithe to Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, the priest of the God most high. And Melchizedek blesses Abram. Both of these actions, both the, the tithe given to Melchizedek and the blessing that Abram receives from Melchizedek are things that show that Melchizedek is superior to Abram. Now this is a big deal. Abram, remember, was the patriarch. In fact, we'll read later that that word patriarch used, and patriarch is only used here in Hebrews. He was the father of the Jewish people, the one whom they all came through. And yet here we see that Genesis 14 is showing us that Melchizedek is superior to Abram. That's a big deal. And we also find out in the text and by the translation of his name that Melchizedek is known as both the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He's known as the king of righteousness because in Hebrew, his name breaks down to king of righteousness. King in Hebrew is Melchah and righteousness of righteousness is Sedek. So Melchizedek is king of righteousness. The Hebrew, his name literally means king of righteousness. And then the fact that he is also the king of Salem shows that he is the king of peace. That matters because it points to this idea of peace. In Psalm 76, 2, Salem and uh, Zion are put together, are, are brought together. Zion is Jerusalem, by the way. So the king of Salem is the king of Jerusalem. And Salem has the same root as the word Shalom. So being the king of Salem means he's the king of peace, the king of Jerusalem. Melchizedek is greater than Abram. It's interesting, too, because this is one of the only places that we see the concept of peace in Hebrews. But one of the other places that we see it is in chapter 13, verse 20, where it expresses the result of Peace is the result of the atoning sacrifice that the priests offer. So you remember, under the sacrificial system, when we sin, we create separation from God, we create enmity with God, and that has to be dealt with in some way. 
So under the sacrificial system, it's dealt with by the sacrifice, blood being shed to atone for our sins, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. That brings peace. And that connection of that atoning sacrifice bringing peace and contentment is tied not only in chapter 13, verse 20, but here as we look at the importance of Melchizedek, the king of peace. It's a big deal. The priests were the ones who brought guilty people before the holy God and gave them peace with the holy God again through those sacrifices. And Melchizedek was the king of peace. And then in verse 3, we see that Melchizedek not only has this uh, king of righteousness, king of peace, is given a tithe by Abram, gives a blessing to Abraham. Abram is, is superior to Abram in all those ways. But we also see that Melchizedek is set apart in Genesis. Look with me at verse 3. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So in Genesis 14, Melchizedek just kind of shows up. We don't, we don't know anything about him. We don't know how old he is when he shows up. We don't know when his life began. We don't know when his life ended. We don't know who his father, his mother, or his whole genealogy is. And this is a big deal because the book of Genesis is a book of genealogy. Right? The purpose of Genesis is to show the people who they came from and who they serve. And so all throughout Genesis, we see these genealogies being done. We, we can trace from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to the people of God. Genesis is all about tracing the line of God and the genealogy throughout so that we can see God working. And then this major player comes along who has no father, no mother, no genealogy, no beginning, and no end mentioned. Now, that doesn't mean that he's immortal. That's not the implication there. It's left out on purpose to make Melchizedek stand out in the story of Genesis. And because we don't know when his beginning or when his end is, he's considered a priest that is ongoing. That's what it means at the end of verse 3. Resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever because we don't hear about the end of his priesthood. You think back to the priests that we've heard about, Aaron and, and his sons and grandsons and, and all the high priests that have come since God set the sacrificial system into play. We saw when his ministry began and we saw when his ministry ended. And we saw that with each one of the successive priests of Levi. But we don't see that with Melchizedek. Melchizedek is different. In fact, verse 3 says he resembles Jesus. He's not Jesus, but he resembles Jesus. He's a priest, king, son of God that is distinct from Jesus, but is a shadow of Jesus. You remember how we talk about how the Old Testament often gives us these shadows of what is to come. The sacrificial system is a shadow of how the, the sins are going to be paid for. It's not the perfect way yet. In fact, the sacrificial system is made so that we yearn for something better. And something better comes along with Jesus. 
And so just as the sacrificial system is a, a shadow of what Jesus would do in his sacrifice, Melchizedek is a shadow of who Jesus will be, showing us early on in the story of creation that there will be one who is unique and distinct, a priest, king, son of God. Melchizedek is the shadow of Jesus, and he's exceptional because those five things are missing. No father, no mother, no genealogy, no beginning, no end. That makes him distinct and important. He's exceptional. Because Genesis is all about genealogy and he has none. So verses 1, 2, and 3 help us to see how Melchizedek is unique how Melchizedek is exceptional, and how Melchizedek is like God's son. And then in verses 4 through 10, we see that Melchizedek is not only a priest to Abram, in verses 4 through 7, but also to Levi, in verses 8 through 10. So first, let's look at verses 4 through 7. Again, going back to that interaction that we saw from Genesis 14. Verse 4 says, See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Melchizedek was a great man because Abraham the patriarch, the father of the nation of Israel, gave him a tithe of the spoils. Abraham recognized how important Melchizedek was as the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Doing this by, by giving a tithe, by giving a tenth of the spoils, Mel, or Abram is acknowledging that Melchizedek is the priest of God and an intermediary for Abram. He's showing how important Melchizedek is. Then in verse 5, we read more about the role of this tithe. Why is it important that he gave a tenth? Verse 5, And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. And so remember, the tithe in the Old Testament was meant to go to the Levitical priests, the descendants of Abraham, and it showed that they were the ones chosen by God to lead the people and give the uh, sacrifices and to be the intermediaries between God and man. And so the Levitical priest, which all the Jews would have understood, the idea of the tithe would have understood how these priests were the ones who made intercession for them, they were given a tithe. Back in Numbers chapter 18, verses 21 through 24, we see how God commands the duties of the priests and the Levites, and one of those duties is to receive the tithe. Verse 21, to the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear sins and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout the generations and among the people of Israel. They shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. So the Levites... From the beginning, the priests from the beginning were given this very unique place 
If you remember contextually, as we think about particularly the Old Testament, land had a, a much, 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 much more important play then than it does now. We buy and sell land like it's no big deal. You know, we, we can get bigger plots. We can sell off smaller plots if we need money. But in the Old Testament, the land was a part of who you were. You were identified by that land. I am from this city that belongs to my family. That was a part of who they were. But the Levites, the priests, received no land from the Lord. Instead, they were provided for by the tithes of the people. And the people tithing to the priests not only allowed the priests to live, but it affirmed their role in the people of God. These other tribes would live the way they were supposed to live, but as they sin, they need a mediator, and so they come to the priests, and the priests mediate between them and God, and the priests don't receive land. The priests don't receive possessions. Instead, they receive a tithe. The tithe is what showed who they were. The tithe is what affirmed that they were called by God to be a mediator for the people. This is why it's a big deal that Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Look at verse 6. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And we get two big things here in verse 6. Melchizedek is not in the line of Abraham. Remember, all the Jews would have traced their ancestry back to Abraham. Genealogy was important. Genealogy mattered. It was another identifying marker to who they were. And Melchizedek was not in the line of Abraham. He was from outside. He's not a Levite. He's not one of the priests that God would command to do the sacrificial system. Not only that, but he received a tithe from Abram. And Abram was important. The man who had the promises. At the very end of verse 6, that's such a significant thing. Abraham was the one who had the promises. What promises? The promises from God. God's people would come from Abraham. And Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was not tied or related to Abraham. But in this interaction, we see which one is more important. Now, in the minds of the Jews, the more important person is always going to be Abraham. He is their patriarch. He is the one they are descended from. He is the one through whom things came. He is the one that had the promises. But verse 7 disavows us of Abraham being more important. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. The superior person, Melchizedek, blessed the inferior person, Abraham, in Genesis 14. The author is reinforcing and hammering home this idea of how important Melchizedek is as a priest of God Most High and how separated Melchizedek is from all of the priests that the people that the Jewish nation has known, the Levitical priests that come from Aaron. 
And it's interesting because, again, both Abraham in giving the tithe and Melchizedek in giving a blessing acknowledge that Melchizedek has a privileged position over Abram. A privileged position as a priestly mediator between Abram and God. Notice the blessing back in Genesis 14 that Melchizedek gives. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your, that is Abraham's, enemies into your hand. God is the one who did all the things that Abram had done, and Abram is blessed through God. Melchizedek is a greater person than Abram. And both Abram and Melchizedek recognize this in Genesis 14. By giving a blessing, Melchizedek is showing how superior he is. By giving a tithe, Abram is acknowledging that Melchizedek is superior. Abram, the patriarch of all the Jewish people, shows that Melchizedek is superior to him. It's interesting, too, because as we think about this idea of tithe, not only does it help us to understand who's important in that situation, but it also lays groundwork for us for what the tithe is. Abraham gives a tithe, and all tithes are given in this way, offered in worship as recognition of God being the source of all that we have. Abraham has just come from a mighty victory. He's brought his relative Lot back and all of the things that were taken from the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. When he is approached by Melchizedek, who comes with bread and wine as a priest of God Most High, Abram, recognizing that he is a priest of God Most High, says, this victory belonged to God. Here is a tithe of all the spoils. Because God is the one who brought that victory to pass. I'm worshiping the Lord by giving him a tenth of all that he's given me. The tithe is meant as an act of worship to recognize that God is the source of all that we have. So in verses 4 through 7, we see how Melchizedek was a priest for Abraham. He was superior to Abraham. He was the one who blessed Abraham and received the tithe from Abraham. And then in verses 8 through 10, the author is tying a bow on it and saying, okay, so you're probably thinking about the priesthood of the Levites. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about how they relate to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest for Abraham. Where does that leave the current priests, the Levitical priests? And are they different from Abraham or from uh, Melchizedek? Look at verse 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. So in verse 8, we get two contrasts between Melchizedek and the Levites. The first contrast is that the Levites were many men, while Melchizedek is one man. And the second contrast is that the reason that there are many men is because they are mortal men. Remember, Melchizedek has already been described as one whose priesthood does not end, but these Levite priests were mortal. Their priesthoods 
did end. In fact, in Greek, that phrase mortal men is actually dying men. The literal translation of that is, look at all these Levites, they are dying men. That's why we had to have so many. Whereas Melchizedek's ministry is considered to be ongoing. And then we get to verses 9 and 10. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Verses 9 and 10 are saying that Levi himself paid tithes to Melchizedek. Even though Levi wasn't yet born, Levi has paid tithes to Melchizedek, again, recognizing that Melchizedek is the greater priest. Dennis Johnson says this, the principle of covenantal representation means that the descendants are considered to have participated in their ancestors' actions for good or ill. The principle of covenantal representation means that the descendants are considered to have participated in their ancestors' actions for good or ill. So in Genesis 14, Levi wasn't there. Levi wasn't even close to being born yet. And yet because of Abraham or Abram making those ties to Melchizedek, Levi also made those ties to Melchizedek. You may say, hey, hang on, that's not fair. I don't want to have to do what my grandfather or great-grandfather or great-great-great-great-great-grandfather did. But that was the principle that was laid forth in that day, this idea of covenantal representation. And it's not unusual. If you think about it, you'll recognize that biblically this happens over and over again. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham's offspring would be multiplied and blessed because he believed God. Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. And he brought him outside and said, that is, God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward the heaven and the number of stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's offspring received the blessings of God because of Abraham's righteousness, because Abraham believed God. But it's not just Abraham, and it's not just good things. If you turn with me to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we see that Adam, mankind's father, disobeyed God in Eden, and therefore all of us are sinners. This is a topic we talked about this morning in Sunday school. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection from of the dead, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So this idea of covenantal representation that the father or the patriarch or some head gets the benefits or the curses passed down to those generations means that Levi, who is in the line of Abraham, paid tithes to Melchizedek. Abraham, as Melchizedek's covenant representative, or as Levi's covenant representative, paid tithes to Melchizedek. Because of that, the Levites, who were also supported by tithes, they understood what the tithe meant, acknowledged that Melchizedek's priesthood was greater. The offering of Abram, including the Levites, shares 
in Abram's promises as well as his, I'm sorry, the offspring of Abram share in Abram's promise as well as the tithe to Melchizedek. And therefore, because Abram is inferior to Melchizedek, all of his descendants are as well. That means the Levites, the current priests, are actually inferior to Melchizedek. That doesn't mean that what they're doing doesn't work or that what they're doing is not what they should be doing, but it means that Melchizedek is greater. Now, we're going to continue to build next week on this concept of how Melchizedek is greater as we look at how Melchizedek and Christ are compared in Psalm 110.4. But what can we take away from these first 10 verses of chapter 7? How do we respond to this concept that Melchizedek is a greater priest than the Levites? That Melchizedek was the priest of Abram? Dennis Johnson suggests two responses for these ten verses. The first one is, following the example of Abraham, we honor God as the giver of all our possessions and enabler of all our successes. So because we saw the model that Abraham gives us in Genesis 14, and that's called back to here in uh, excuse me, Hebrews 7, we recognize that he is modeling for us the worship and the glory of God, recognizing all that God has given to us. We do that by giving back to the Lord, by tithing back to the Lord so that ministry can continue. Why did Numbers say that tithe was given to the Levites? So that not only could they survive because they didn't have land or flocks or things like that, but so that they could also live and minister to the people. They were provided for so that God's ministry could continue. Now, we're not going to have the debate on whether or not tithes are a New Testament thing or not. I think in Luke eleven forty two, Jesus affirms the tithe. Others don't, but I do think that no matter whether you affirm that the tithe is carried forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 10% is the model that is given us in Scripture. And we say tithes and offerings because the tithe is the 10%. The offering is everything above that. So if you want to support a missionary and you appreciate the missionaries, you give your offering to the church and then everything extra you want to give to the missionary, you give to the missionary. Above and beyond your offering. That's the principle that Abraham sets forth and that we see through the rest of Scripture. So Johnson says the first way we can respond to this text is to look at Abram's model of giving back in a manner of worship to the Lord who gave us all things so that the ministry of the Lord can continue. The second thing Johnson says is that since Abram, who is our exemplar in the faith, received a blessing through a priest greater than Levi, we too need a superior priest, one who is a king of righteousness and a king of peace, one who will bless us with both righteousness and peace. Anybody want to guess who that is? Jesus. Jesus is better. The beauty and the truth of the gospel is that we are sinners. That our sin does have to be taken care of. For the wages of sin is death. That's our destiny. That's our, 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 our train, if you will, to eternity. Death and the wrath of God without somebody stepping in. Because we can't do it ourselves. But the free gift of God is a priest 
who can make the sacrifice that is greater than all other sacrifices and can deal with our sin. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Melchizedek was superior to Abraham. Melchizedek was superior to Levi. He was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. And we too need a king of righteousness and a king of peace who can give us what we can't have ourselves. And that is Jesus. Happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance. We would probably not affirm Charlotte's quote from Pride and Prejudice today, even though it might have been the dominant position and understanding of the time. In this section of text, the author continues to show us that Jesus is better by showing us that Melchizedek, a shadow of Jesus, is better than Abraham and he's better than the Levites. Let's pray. Father, your gospel truth is something we so easily take for granted. It's something we so easily forget in our day-to-day life. And yet that truth is what gives us hope. That truth is what drives our persistence in the faith. And that truth is what reminds us of how glorious you are. As we've looked at Melchizedek and how he was a priest of the highest order, Father, we pray that you would help us to remember that Jesus is better and that we need Jesus. Just like we need the Levites and Abraham's descendants needed the sacrifices to deal with their sins. Jesus is the better way. So Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And remember that he is better. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.